The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. And now here's the man voted the nicest guy who does a podcast about building and HVAC and science, Bill Spone. Welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Episode kind of sounds like uh, running a TV show here or something like that, but really I'm just having conversations with people I know, some people I don't know, people I've just been introduced to, some people that want to share their thoughts, their insights, answer some questions I have in my mind, and maybe answer some questions that you have on your mind. That's one of the reasons why we started the Building HVAC Science Podcast, was to help people do their job better, find out more about the industry that they're in. And again, we're talking about the crossroads of building performance, building science, and HVAC, two of the areas I've been working in for the better part of 30 years. You can find other trade-oriented podcasts in what we call the Blue Collar Roots Network at www.bluecollarroots.com. You'll see a bunch of different podcasts there for some great guys like Zach Ciotta and Ralph Wolf. Really, you got to listen to their podcast. They are really entertaining fellows to listen to and got some good technical information, business information, and just some nice chit-chat about the HVAC industry. You also have Billy Noth and Brent Ridley with their podcast, Tool Pros. You'll find out a lot of good information there. And of course, there's the icon in the industry, Mr. Brian Orr who just turned XX years old yesterday, I think, at the time we're recording this. Brian Orr does the HVAC School podcast. That's a really great one to listen to, too. In today's episode, we're going to hear from Larry Zarker, the chief executive of the Building Performance Institute, BPI, as you might have heard them. He'll be talking about home performance market and talking about the intersection of home performance, building performance, and HVAC exactly what we'd want to talk about at this show. He's got a lot of experience. He actually does have blue collar roots for real. He worked in the construction business, family construction business. You'll hear a little bit about his personal story and about where he's taken the organization BPI over the course of the last decade plus that he's been involved with it. There's a lot of different aspects and really the conversation I had with him helped solidify my understanding about BPI, even though I've been involved with BPI doing work on technical committees for years. So please take a listen to this podcast. I think you'll get a lot out of it. And if you like what you heard today and you haven't subscribed yet to a podcast, please consider doing so by typing Building HVAC Science into the search bar of one of these three services. For Apple, it'd be the podcast app, or for Android, Google Play, Music, or Stitcher. You can always also listen in your browser if you just go to bluecollarroots.com slash building-hvac-science. That's where you'll find the listing of all the podcast episodes that we have going. And we've got a lot more people are coming forward here that want to talk to me, actually. So this is going to be kind of fun. Again, let's listen to Larry Zarker talk about BPI. Today, we're very pleased to have Larry Zarker from the Building Performance Institute. Larry's going to tell us a few things about building performance that you may know and a few things that you perhaps don't know. Welcome today, Larry. Thank you for having me on, Bill. Larry, how long have we known each other? seems like it's decades. Probably decades. <laughs> <laughs> when did you first get involved with uh, BPI? I knew about BPI. I was doing a roadmap for the Department of Energy on existing buildings and what we can do to 
enhance the performance of existing buildings. And in the process of doing that, we interacted with a lot of remodelers and product manufacturers. And that's where I came across BPI. So that was probably in the 2005, 2006 timeframe. I didn't really get to know it until a few years later when Mike Rogers told me of an opening there and introduced me to some of the people on the board. So you've been connected to the building or housing industry for a while then. Tell us a little bit about uh, that background. Actually, I grew up in a home building family. My father was a fireman and firemen have very strange schedules of being on and off work. And so a group of them got together and formed a home construction business. And in the summers, I used to work building houses with him. And then after I got out of uh, graduate school, I went to work with NAHB Research Center And I was there doing research on buildings for 20 years before I left and then came over to BPI. So really, housing is pretty much all I have known my entire life. Pretty cool. And I don't know if you recall, but my podcast is part of the Blue Collar Roots Network. So man, you are really a Blue Collar Roots kind of (laughs) guy. Yeah. Blue Collar Kid from Kansas. (laughs) You threw an acronym out there, and I want to make sure everybody understands what we're talking about. So NAHB. Tell us what that means, what it is, what you did there. NHB stands for the National Association of Home Builders. It's a federation of 800 state and local home builder associations. And the NHB Research Center is a subsidiary of the trade association dedicated to doing research to advance the performance of housing. And I Worked there for 20 years. The last 10 years, I was vice president of marketing. So primarily, we had a large staff of engineers. My job was to help bring new work into the building, but also to translate the engineering language into common language that we all understand. I think that's probably a great transition for you into BPI, which was a fairly new organization in the, the whole landscape of things, that translation aspect, where you really do have to pay attention to the technical details, but you got to make it work in the environment. You got to make it work in the market. So segueing into that, tell me a little bit about the history of BPI. BPI was formed about 23 or 24 years ago in upstate New York by practitioners and some government officials who were really concerned that the work that was being done in low income housing to upgrade the performance of these homes through the weatherization assistance program actually had some real standards associated with it that that governed how you evaluate the home and how you upgrade it. And then following up on that was creating certifications for the individuals to prove that they had the knowledge, skills, and abilities to do the work. And that's how BPI got formed as a standard setting and certification body in low-income housing. It was not long after that that DOE, EPA, and HUD came along. This is when I first started at BPI, probably in the 2006 timeframe. And they wanted to see if there was a way to take that experience to all the other states. So my job was to try and build the network of training organizations that then did the testing for the certification throughout the country. So we grew from one to six to 
close to 130 of those today with a footprint in nearly every state. So that's 130 training centers, just training centers, not individuals. Right. As we've grown up, we went through the ANSI, American National Standards Institute accreditation process, uh, first for being a standards development organization where we are now accredited by ANSI for the standards that we produce. But then we went through the ANSI accreditation for personnel certifications. So we are accredited under an international standards organization, ISO 17024, as a personnel certifying body. And when we did that, we had to make a distinction between those who train and those who evaluate. And so we don't really have a very close association with the training side as much as we have contractual relations with what we call the test centers to make sure that they're evaluating candidates properly. So this all has to come together. And the reason for the NC accreditations becoming a certified body, where does that have weight? Where does that play in? First of all, it has weight with the government. When the government is looking at standards or personnel certifications, they look for the ANSI designation, the ANSI accreditation, and would give preference to that. And we did build four new certifications for the Department of Energy and the National Renewable Energy Laboratory around the low-income weatherization program. So those four are accredited by ANSI under ISO 17024. Part of what I see from BPI that actually sort of seems new to me is that you have a consumer focus also. And make sure you plug your website here and whatever else you want to do pretty liberally because this is your opportunity. So at bpi.org, bpi.org, is that correct? bpi.org. And we really have focused very hard on informing consumers that their home is their castle and that the comfort, health, safety, durability and energy efficiency of the house really affects the way you live in it. And we want consumers to know that there are people out there who they can trust to come in and find the problems in their home and get them fixed. So there's a zip code locator right on the website. You can put in your zip code and find resources in your community that can come in and help find those problems and get them fixed. My audience is in part HVAC contractors and building performance contractors, and I'm sure the building performance ones know a lot more about this than perhaps some of the HVAC ones do. So what's the tie-in between those two groups, in your opinion? I think the potential is quite large, and I think that HVAC contractors are well-placed to own the relationship with the homeowner. They're in the house one or two times a year. Good HVAC contractors have maintenance contracts so that they can come in and evaluate the systems. But you have to be careful to make sure that the skill set is broader than just the unit and that the business model is broader than just replacing or fixing the unit. The house is a series of systems and subsystems that interact with one another. And one problem, let's just say, for example, moisture coming into a basement can have serious 
impact on the health of the occupants. And if mold is present, that comfort delivery system actually may be pulling that into the system and distributing it throughout the house. And we see that very often. So I think HVAC contractors have a huge opportunity to own that relationship, but there is some knowledge and skill sets that you need to broaden that. Now, there are very successful HVAC companies who have made that transition successfully, and they've built their business on that. Do you want to drop a few names there? I think it'd be appropriate. Well, say Ray Isaac, Isaac Heating and Cooling, uh, Hal Smith from Halco. Hal has a great story about he would get calls as an HVAC contractor to get a quote for insulating an attic. And he'd say, I don't do that. You need to call an insulation contractor. And finally, the light bulb went off and he said, I can do that. I'll be right over. And <laughs> he expanded into these other parts of the house. And what he realized is if he met the needs of that customer, then he earned their respect and he had then taken that customer away from his competition. So now they became an HVAC customer as well. So by expanding the business to include other elements of home performance, he was able to broaden his customer base. He's a castle maintenance guy then, I guess, if the home is the castle, huh? <laughs> That's right. You talked about skill set and knowledge. I think part of what I'm hearing too is this, this house is a system or a series of systems. It may be rooted in embracing the philosophy, would you say? Yeah, it is. But the problem that I've experienced with a lot of the HVAC companies, particularly the people who are involved in sales, is that they see their opportunity to earn income is based on volume, volume of change outs, getting out to the house, getting that unit replaced, and doing a number of those in a day, as opposed to taking the time, slowing it down, doing the full evaluation of the home and finding that there may be multiple things going on, not just that the unit has failed. And if you can't embrace the idea of looking at the whole house, you may not be able to change the business model to make it work. Or perhaps you may need two business models. You may need to have that understanding that certain customers need just the real narrow focus and other ones you can open up and be more broad to the aspect of change. Yeah. Like Ray Isaac, when they started their home performance division, I think he was like third generation and they had a fleet of red trucks. So the home performance division had green trucks. And over time, he noticed that the number of green trucks in the fleet was overwhelming the number of red trucks. So there's still red trucks out there doing replacement. That's fine. If somebody needs that, we're not going to say, no, you need a whole house job every time. But sometimes it's more than just the unit getting replaced. It could be that your ducts are very leaky and they're pulling in bad air and distributing it throughout the house and making it very uncomfortable to breathe in that house. Why not do something to seal those ducts too? You mentioned the consumer aspect. And I've noticed you have a consumer blog going to, which is great to communicate directly with consumers and get them interested in the topic. But I've also noticed, I would say in the last few years, a change in that uh, you also offer business orientation for home performance contractors, people that are doing this kind of work. Can you talk a little bit to that? Like, why did that change come about? 
Yeah, first I want to talk about the blog. I wrote a blog piece this summer, and it was entitled, I Was the Cobbler Whose Kids Had No Shoes. And I had a 1912 house that I lived in for 30 years and raised kids in. And we had all of the problems that a typical house had. We're at the bottom of two hills, and every time it rained, it we got moisture in the basement. And the air handler is about 15 feet away, and we had mold. And all of the kinds of problems that you see in a house that can affect occupant comfort and health, we seem to have it. And I let some of the BPI trainers come in and use the house for training. And one of them pulled me aside one day and said, how often is your basement this wet? And I said, well, only when it rains. He said, you've got to get this fixed. And I grew up in home building. I grew up and I was working in building research. And yet the light bulb hadn't gone off that I could get this stuff done. And I went down my own personal path to, to get all of the work done on the house and make it perform well. So that's an interesting blog piece. Yeah. And is the blog accessible right from the website? One of the nice things about the website is that you can choose where to go when you get to bpi.org. If you're a professional, you can get in and see the standards and certifications. Or if you're a homeowner, you can go in and you can find the blog and useful tools about finding contractors and some nice videos and other things there. But you raised the question about business contractors and their business We've been accrediting contractors for many years, but we moved away from the stick approach, which said, if you don't deliver quality in your work, we're going to throw you out or suspend you. And we always came in with quality assurance. And sometimes that was three or four weeks or even several months later, and a happy customer then became unhappy, and that made the contractor unhappy. So we decided that we wanted to turn philosophically the program around to look at ways that we could help companies succeed in the business. So we created a series of resources around quality management and quality improvement for contractors. We call it the Gold Star Program. And twice a month, we have free webinars with top consultants from around the country who help small businesses succeed and improve their quality in the work that they deliver. And that's been pretty successful. I think it has been because I hear more buzz about it. So it means the word is getting out. With regard to business, sort of the lubrication that keeps the business machine running is money. So there's got to be a cost to this, and there's got to be a return. Can you talk to those aspects? You mean in terms of Gold Star? For someone that is interested in getting into this field, say we've got the ears of uh, 10 or 20 HVAC contractors out there. They're perked up right now. They're listening. So let's cover it a little bit more in detail and see what you could cover in terms of like the transitions they need to go through to become, say, like an Isaacs or a Hale Smith? I think one of the foundational pieces of small business, you need to look at the ways in which you spend money, um, perhaps waste money. And defects is one of those areas where you may have missed something in the delivery of a project and get called back. And now you're diverting a truck from a job that was going to yield new money and going back to fix a job that you already done. And when that happens, you can start to measure that this actually takes money away from the bottom line. So working toward 
completing all jobs to the customer satisfaction from the beginning has direct payback to the bottom line. And those are some of the resources that we try to provide contractors is make sure that you're able to deliver on that promise. There's a successful company up in New Jersey that's doing this at volume, doing whole housework at volume. And they have staged in their warehouse every job for the coming week with every part and piece that is needed so that the trucks get loaded the night before and when the technicians come to work they drive to the job no need to go to lowe's or home depot to get some pieces no need to go back to the shop for something that wasn't on the truck it's all staged properly they get the work done the customer's happy because they're taking some time off of work for them to be there and they want to get the house done and just as a professional way to do it And too often in contracting, it requires multiple visits. And I'm sorry, I have to leave and go to Home Depot or to a supply house and get more parts to make this work. And that, again, detracts from the bottom line. It sounds like uh, if a contractor gets into this and embraces the concepts, they're sort of forced to work within a quality system, but that quality system could then spill over to other aspects of their business. Would you say that's happened? It's starting to happen. I don't think it's uniformly true. Our philosophy is that you don't go to a house with products in hand that you're trying to sell to a customer. The whole nature of what we call the energy audit, performed by a building analyst, is that you're going there to hear from the customers what kinds of problems that they have with comfort, perhaps with health. Do they have kids with asthma? What kinds of issues are they having that could be fixed? And so you go through and do the assessment to find out where the problems are, and then you create a scope of work based on those findings. And that's very different from going to the house and selling windows or selling some product. Right. It's versus pushing the product is more consultative and I'm sure it involves a lot of listening. you got to really listen and to key into where you can help solve a problem for the customer. The building analyst is the core of what BPI is all about. And part of that is health and safety related. That We've always had the diagnostic testing for gas leaks and backdrafting with carbon monoxide. That's fundamental to what the building analyst does. But in the last few years, we realized that we needed to go further than that. So we created a Healthy Home Evaluator certification, and that resides on top of the building analyst as a prerequisite. And what it enables that person to do is go into a home and look at other factors beyond combustion safety, other factors that may influence the comfort, health, and safety of the occupants. These are environmental risks. It can be part of the solution set that is offered to the homeowner. You're talking about the solution set in the Healthy Home Evaluator. That I know because I'm on um, board of directors of a nonprofit called the Healthy Home Environments Association, which is in support of that activity. So when did that get rolling and what really stimulated that to happen? How did you say this all congealed in the last uh, couple of years? 
Was it any particular event or something happened to you personally or observations in the market? I had staff pushing me in that direction. And as I said before, I had some of that experience in my own home, but really opened up to the potential for this market by going to some of the conferences that are relating the research results that have been found on health and quantifying that kids who are going to the emergency room for an asthma attack, that costs the insurance industry over $800. And if they stay over in the hospital, that's like $8,800. And if that happens two or three times a year, it starts to become real money that the insurance industry is having to pay out for that condition. And asthma is a growing problem. It's an epidemic in the U.S. The impact is much broader than just the cost. It also includes that the kids are missing school, the parents are having to take time off of work, and you start to quantify that, and it has some real impact. So we started to put this together and realized that it's our industry group, the people who are analyzing the home, that needs to take that responsibility too. And that's what the Healthy Home Evaluator is about. You mentioned your staff was pushing you. What is sort of the makeup of your staff? How do you departmentalize and what do people have to do to maintain this organization? Well, in many respects, we're meeting gatherers. Standards are (laughs) a complicated process, particularly when you're doing consensus standards. You need to bring in experts from around the industry to write the standards. What's the standard of practice for doing an assessment in a home? What's the standard of practice for upgrading the whole house performance of the home? And you can't just sit in a room and write that standard. It can't be a consensus standard unless the industry is included and it is worked on together. And then it goes out for comment period and you have to resolve all the comments. So our staff, that's one of the elements is bringing the industry together to make sure that these standards work. Then we have to service this network of test centers that are delivering our exams. And we're different from other certifying bodies in that there is a knowledge test, but there's also a practicum, a field practicum. So you have to demonstrate the capability to use diagnostic equipment in your evaluation. And the proctor is actually evaluating your competency to do that in the field exam. So we have to service that 130 test center and their proctor network to make sure that each one is evaluating the candidate at the same level. That's called inter-rater reliability. We don't want our exams to be easier in New Jersey than they are in California. So you have to ensure that all of the proctors who are doing the evaluations are doing them consistently. So that's part of what our staff does too. And as you know, I take part in the technical standards committees and help with different aspects. And I got to say, you have become more formal, but I want to call it friendly formality. You guys execute very well. So kudos to your staff. Yeah, it's a lot of work and it's kind of like watching paint dry. It's not a very fast process. 
No, not at all. But I got to say you're responsive to any kind of issues, concerns, questions that I hear about or bring up. You guys are right there. You folks are right there replying. And the other side of our business is that we really have realized that we're a data company. When you have 12,000 individuals in the market holding on average one and a half certifications and you're taking all of those exams and processing them, that's a lot of data. We are constantly working on improving our IT systems to be more responsive. You mentioned a number there, 12,000 individuals. How do they overlay? And this is just United States, correct? All 50 states and territories? We have a few certifications internationally. We are under a, an MOU with a government institute in South Korea, and they're going to take a couple of our certifications to South Korea in the next year. So we're starting to move internationally. Those 12,000 individuals in the U.S., do they lay pretty much uniformly with population in the state, or is there some gaps in the market? Maybe where a contractor listening in a certain area would consider this because they have see opportunity, or would you say the market is far from saturated? How would you gauge that? First of all, I think that it does line up pretty closely with population. Having said that, I think there are large opportunities for contractors who are in less populated areas to take a competitive advantage by getting staff trained and certified and offering the kind of whole house assessment that our people do. Just like with Ray Isaac and Hal Smith, they saw an opportunity in the market and started building on that to the point where they now kind of own that market in their area. I still think that it's the HVAC industry that could take this and win it. And who knows where this could go from home performance to smart house. HVAC contractors could own that relationship with the homeowner as well. And when you start talking about smart house, you're talking about home automation, but you may also be now getting into security. I know some of the HVAC companies have gone into security. Why not monitoring pollutants in the home so that you're helping the customer with, you're the contractor who can deal with any of their issues. For that matter, a lot of people have five and six remote controls and get very frustrated managing their entertainment systems. So you start to put all this together and you can build the capability to own that relationship with the homeowner. Greetings, listeners in podcast land. Did you know that Backrack's been a leader in the design and manufacturing of combustion analysis equipment since 1909? It's one of those facts that I knew because I used to work there for 10 years. It's quite a fine company. Now, during their fall promotion, you can save on the purchase of a new combustion analyzer with rebates worth up to $350. That offer includes a free two-year subscription to their exclusive B-Smart Sensor Exchange program with the purchase of a FireRate Intech or an Insight Plus. With the B-Smart Sensor Exchange program, pre-calibrated sensors are shipped directly to you. No more hassle or downtime while you wait for the return of your analyzer from the factory for calibration. You can download your rebate form today at www.mybacharach.com forward slash offers. That's M-Y-B-A-C-H-A-R-A-C-H dot com forward slash offers. Enter the promo code HVAC Science. That's H-V-A-C-S-C-I-E-N-C-E. 
that will let them know that you heard it here on the Building HVAC Science podcast. This is a time-limited offer only for purchases made up to December 31st, 2017. So please take advantage of this. You'd mentioned a little while back at some of the conferences that you go to. What are some of the conferences you go to that influenced you or continue to influence you or you would recommend people look at? Well, first and foremost, what we used to call Affordable Comfort is now the Home Performance Coalition Conference. I go to all of their events. The national conference is in uh, Philadelphia next spring, but there are regional conferences. I was just uh, speaking at the Long Beach, California regional event and will be at the New York State event in, I guess, January or February. That's a really important one. We have a good relationship with ACCA. I've been going to their conference every year. Some years I speak at the conference. Four or five years ago, they saw as a threat that we were trying to enter their space. We have HVAC certifications in heating and AC heat pump, but it's really to help an HVAC contractor understand the whole house. And what we want to do is work with ACCA and say, we're the people who understand the envelope, we understand the assessment of the home, and can make the comfort delivery systems better. And so that relationship has been improving over time. So that's a conference I like to go to. There is a Healthy Homes Conference. It's every other year that is very good. It's a little techie on the health side, you learn a lot there, and there's very good research out there that we can then put into practice. There is, or at least there used to be, an ACCA, ACC, Air Conditioning Contractors America, standard QH12, I believe, quality homes. How does that overlay, or what's the perspective on that from BPI standpoint? It's very much related. My sense is that you don't really own a space in the standards arena. There may be more than one standard of practice and that's okay. It was designed for their members to use. And we building analysts tend to be more like the energy auditor and not necessarily starting from that HVAC background. And you also have that certification credentialing and and all that aspect too, which ties into the work you, you do in a very, very strong sense. How about any further alignments with the HVAC industry? that are either existing or potentials that you see going forward? I would like to align more closely with ACCA. We are currently developing a standard with them on evaluating the potential for savings in project, but they have the QI5 standard on how do you install. And I think that is really important is there a way that we could align on the work we do with our contractors, the work that we're doing with the webinars on business management, and maybe even get closer with respect to certifications that they could steer to their members? And I don't know where that could go, but we do keep uh, communications open. What changes have you seen in the home performance market since you've been involved in this so long for so many years? Things from when you started that you think, wow, we've come back a long road or darn it, we haven't made it as far as we should. What sort of thrills you and frustrates you about the whole market? When I was with NHB Research Center, we thought that the remodelers were the avenue toward really making our existing homes more efficient. And there are 134 million 
existing homes in the country and about a million that get built each year. There's been a lot of attention on the new homes and ramping up the codes, making sure that the new homes are performing very well. I guess I haven't seen the remodeling community step up and really embrace the house as a system. They tend to look at fit and finish. They tend to look at the granite countertops, room additions, kitchens and baths, that sort of thing. And those are important to consumers. I understand that. But while you're there, while you're tearing it up, why not understand what's going to deliver comfort for them as well and maybe make the house a little healthier and safer for the kids? So I'm pretty disappointed that the remodeling community hasn't embraced this and hasn't actually seen this as an opportunity to expand their business model. I think they're leaving money on the table. I'm a little disappointed in the HVAC industry and that I get a lot of feedback that our business model is to go out and do the changeouts. And we don't have time to spend that much time with the homeowner and do this large job. It's just we don't make money doing that. So if you don't really evaluate how to make the home performance model work for an HVAC contractor, then they're not going to transform to do it. That's a problem. I think part of it comes from the fact that consumers need to ask for this or be aware of it. Somehow it's got to be presented in front of them. They have all the questions that you could potentially have solutions for your organization, your team, your philosophy, your outlook. But consumers need to be able to ask that kind of question. Is is there anything going on at a bigger consumer level that you've worked on? Actually, I think Consumer Reports did do some kind of report. Is that correct recently? Yeah. Some kind of tie-in? Consumer Reports has been very good at following this field, and they see that there is a growing interest in what we might call healthy homes among consumers, and you start to see that some of these new sensors are becoming available that are relatively low cost, that you can have, say, a FUBOT in your home, and if the light turns red, then you know you've got a problem and you can get a report back. The question is, what do you do with that? And you need to have a contractor that you can trust to come in and say, well, here's what's going on. It could have been a one-time event that you burned the chicken and left it in the oven roasting too long, or it could be a more serious problem than that. And you need to be able to get to the bottom of that and understand it so that you could take corrective action. I know a few people, you probably know them too, that are working on consumer-oriented books and downloads. Nate Adams, for example, and Corbett and Grace Lunsford, who have done the Proof is Possible tour the, and are looking to do more kind of consumer communication. Does, are those people you align with? Absolutely. Okay. There needs to be more of that? Well, and Corbett's been working on a TV show, and I would love to see the work of home performance become mainstream that people recognize it and want to turn that show on. This old house had a great following because we all can relate to it. And this old unhealthy house should have the same kind of following because we all live in these houses. Yeah, I think his concept there is it's called home diagnosis. It's CSI meets this old house. So it talks a lot about the diagnostic, the more technical aspects. And I think coming along are more technical consumers, people that are more interested in what they have, what they own, have it sort of a different outlook. And with the extreme availability of information, both good and bad, 
that they can sort of dig into these things themselves. You talked about you worked in uh, marketing for NAHB. What type of marketing does BPI do in order to reach? You have such a broad platform of potential consumers, constituents. So how does that work? We built a consumer-facing website, and we have been, over the past year, doing a lot more placement of ads in markets through NPR and Pandora and other social media venues. But, you know, we're not Kleenex. We're not Anderson Windows. We don't have the kind of dollars to invest in really getting in front of consumers. So we do the best we can with the budget that we have as a nonprofit. But the tools that we provide on our website are very useful. We have a quiz that you can go through, put in your address, and it brings up Zillow information, a photo of your house, and then it uses tax records to determine what your systems are like. And you can true that up with your own experience with your bills. And pretty soon, you, in like 20 seconds, you can see how much you're wasting in your own house. And that could be saved if you went through a home performance upgrade. So those kinds of tools, I think, are very useful. I mentioned earlier Zip Code Locator, so you can find a contractor who has the skill set to come in and help you. We're trying to team up with the publications like Consumer Reports, keep them informed so that they know where the trends are. It's a lot of work to reach out to that market. You do have a lot of passion for what you're doing here that flows through. I mean, I do see you at every one of those conferences and, and a lot of that I don't go to, you're out there, you're doing a lot of traveling. It sounds like it's part of your DNA. I um, go to conferences and I've been doing the, uh, these conferences for years and I always go to the technical sessions and try and learn what's new, what's interesting, what's coming into the market, what's succeeding, what's failing, and so that we can learn from that and improve what we provide to the market. What's your outlook, say, for the next five years for BPI and going beyond that? I personally think that the Healthy Home Evaluator provides the building analyst, the contracting company that's going into the home with a much broader perspective of what could be going on in that home that could affect the occupants in the house. And this means that this gives them a broader opportunity to find problems get them corrected. And I see that is developing into a kind of a whole new area in that the insurance industry pays for these emergency room visits for asthma patients. And the medical community is trying to understand why isn't this medicine improving the individual's health, the symptoms that we're experiencing. And you start to put this together the people who have the Healthy Home Evaluator and our contractors could be the agent that the physician sends into the home and says, report back to me what you found, because something is going on in the house that is affecting this, and this can have some effect on the amount of money that this insurance industry is having to pay for the patients. So I think that that's a big change. Yeah, for the effect. So address the causes of these things rather than just waiting for the effects to happen. We've learned from Kevin Kennedy and Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City, where they've done more than a thousand of these interventions. The respiratory medicine department is the one that created the protocol to go into the house. 
and find out if there were things going on in the house that was affecting the child and their health. And they were able to report back and help the doctor create a broader perspective. This really ties a lot together. And I know from some things I've participated in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area where I live, where we talk about outdoor contaminants getting inside and the fact that people spend so much time indoors that you cannot necessarily create a barrier or a shield to those outdoor contaminants, but they do end up getting in. Then what do you do? And I think some of the work going on there, right? Oh, yeah. This is really fascinating stuff. But let's face it. Older homes are leaky. And we get our air into the homes that we breathe. It's delivered through the comfort system, the air handling unit. We're delivering that air throughout the house from places like crawl spaces that are wet and filled with animals living and dead. And we breathe this stuff before the return brings it back where it first meets the furnace filter. So leaky homes are a serious problem. And we recommend first and foremost tighten the house, and then try and get air from a place you can trust. And when you can do that, and if you bring in, say, an HRV or ERV with proper filtration, you might be able to clean up the outdoor air that's coming in too. The phrase air we hear a lot in the industry is build it tight, ventilate right. That's right. I think that's absolutely the core of you know the first step. And people like you and I have heard this enough to know and, and actually believe and experience it ourselves. It sounds like you have, as I have too, that air infiltration is a huge part of the overall health, the uh, comfort, the energy aspects, uh, getting that infiltrations under control, much higher degree, I'll say, than insulation. What are your thoughts on that? Actually, I was in Portland last winter and a contractor used a uh, product called Air Advice, and he had a customer whose kids had asthma, and she was scheduled for a thoracic surgery, and he went in and used the Air Advice and found high levels of particulates in that home and asked questions and found that they lived next door to a home that was being heated by wood. And so that air essentially was getting sucked into the house by leaks and stack effect, and he documented that for a week. Then they did their energy audit and found that they needed to air seal the home, insulate, seal the ducts, and then they put in an energy recovery ventilator with filtration. And they found that the particulates dropped during construction but were kind of up and down. But after the system was commissioned in place, the levels dropped dramatically and were consistently low. And the kids lost their inhalers. And the mother didn't have to have surgery. And he said, look, this is tiny data. This is one house. But it proves that you can have an impact. That's a very dramatic case, but I know know there's a lot of them out there. And the interesting thing you described there was a contractor doing good, profitable work, installing equipment, adjusting systems, make doing diagnosis. So it is a business model built into this. It's not just pie in the sky. I kind of want to back up to great story from Joe Coonan back when he was in the early days of HVAC and home performance work in Little Rock. And he got a one of those 4th of July calls and said, I need a new system today. My wife is just suffering and I'll pay any amount. And Joe said, I'll be right over. And he brought in his pickup truck three or four window units. And he said, I want to loan these to you. And you put them in and let's get you comfortable 
and let's not do anything rash today. I'll come back and let's look at what's going on in your home. Make sure that we're making your home as comfortable as possible and get that system. We get the load down by doing air sealing and insulation, and then we'll design the new HVAC system for you. And it turned out to be one of his largest home performance jobs because he dealt with the customer and their immediate need. But he was able to say, let's get through this crisis and then let's figure out what we need to do. That's a great story. It was, again, consultative, listening, taking your time, something that may not be part and parcel to the way a lot of HVAC contractors work, but maybe it could be a new way of working. Interestingly, Joe's going to be coming up as a guest here in the next few weeks. I'm going to be interviewing him. He'll probably tell that story. (laughs) (laughs) I think that interview will go longer than an hour. The other interesting thing about Joe, this kind of touches True Tech Tools, my company personally, is in the early days of True Tech, the late Jim Bergman Sr. actually wanted to learn more about the home performance market and spent about a week with Joe looking at different homes, different construction methods, the whole home performance aspect. And he came back shaking his head, Jim Sr., saying, I got to think about all that work that I did over the years and what I left behind what systems weren't done correctly, what I overlooked, what problems were being caused that I couldn't solve when I looked at the home as a system. This was a man who was in his 60s who all of a sudden had this enlightenment, this epiphany to realize that it does all tie together. So it can happen to anybody at any age. (laughs) John Tooley, the Dean of Building Science in the whole home performance industry, was in new home construction. And he had that epiphany when he first saw the blower door and saw what it could do. And he was like started down that path of saying, what have I done wrong all these years that I need to go back and fix? And he called his wife and said, we're doing it all wrong. We've got to change what we're doing. And a year ago, he was at a whole day session at the Home Performance Coalition Conference. And Kevin Kennedy and Joe Medosh and others were talking through the various aspects of healthy housing and where the industry's going with that. And he said, I had my second epiphany. I realized that that's the future of our industry. And he said, I called my wife and we have grandkids with asthma and it connected in his head right then and said, that's where we're headed. Any other closing thoughts you'd like to impart uh, as we talked about the future here and what else would you like to say to the listeners? I really believe that HVAC contractors are at the forefront of this coming revolution. The revolution entails owning the relationship with the homeowner on the way in which they live in their house. And it's not just the delivery of heating or air conditioning or humidity control. It's not just the products, but it's the interaction of all the systems in the house. And you can own that relationship and make more money if you are able to embrace it. I have one final thing I like to do is just put you on the hot seat just a little bit and give you a choice. What's your favorite saying, something that resonates with you, or what is something that people should know about home performance that they generally don't know or would find surprising? One of the things I find from the people in home performance that I really like is the fact that they are willing to go into places that pose potential risk to them. I just mentioned John Tooley, where they had a seven on your side segment of 
10 people pulling a 17-foot python out from underneath a mobile home. Can you imagine being in there and discovering that? And people find situations like that all the time. And moisture and mold, it truly is one of those jobs that is challenging. But in fact, it's really rewarding. It's one thing I, you probably know more details than this than I do, but I believe that someone uh, working in weatherization in New York State actually saved someone's life during the incident of carbon monoxide poisoning. That was around the Syracuse area? I actually wrote an article on that. This was on Long Island. About 10 years ago, I wrote an article on that. It was an older woman, and the technician got to the door, and his carbon monoxide monitor pegged, and he said, ma'am, are you feeling okay? And she said, no. And he said, let's go outside. Took her outside, and he found that some relative had built a shroud around the hot water tank, and it was backdrafting badly. And if he hadn't arrived, she would have died. My goodness. There's another part that kind of triggered in me because I've done some expert witness consulting work. And uh, there's one situation where someone, without fully understanding the aspects of air tightness and air tightening, neglected to provide enough makeup air for a furnace in a mobile home and a manufactured home and caused an elderly person, again, to become overcome and poisoned with carbon monoxide. So that's why you need these standards. And that's why you do industry consensus is you take into account all these diverse elements. And that's why the training is so important. The certification is so important. That's why it all has to come together. It's for yourself and not being risk averse and putting yourself in that situation. As I know you added carbon monoxide or BPIs added carbon monoxide personal monitors personal area monitoring to the new standards, which is, again, crucial for that risk that is sometimes posed to people doing the work. Yeah, I now carry one with me everywhere I go. And we have a colleague who was traveling last summer who was in Ireland with his wife and daughter and nearly died from carbon monoxide poisoning in the middle of the night and ended up with severe concussions from falling face flat just trying to go to the bathroom. So he now carries around a portable carbon monoxide monitor everywhere he goes too. As do I. I mean, I just can't, just the stories I've heard have just become also personal, especially with these latest ones here. So, okay. Anything else you want to discuss with the audience out there or when you want to wrap things up? I think that's it. Well, fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on, Larry. And getting it. Usually I see you at conferences. I don't get the chance to talk for more than a couple <laughs> minutes with you. Either you're too busy or I'm too busy. And this was really nice to just have a, a nice hour long chat with you and really appreciate your time today. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on, Bill. Well, we thank you for listening. And we hope you got a few tidbits of information from Larry Zarker from BPI. He's actually given me a couple great ideas for people to bring forth in the interview on the show. So we hope Larry's given you some insight into the world of building performance from the standpoint of a credentialing and certifying organization called BPI. If you want to keep up on other things that I find interesting, follow us on Facebook by typing Building HVAC Science into the Facebook search bar. You'll come across our Facebook page and see what we got going there. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the Building HVAC Science podcast, please email me at bill underscore spohn, S-P-O-H-N, at bluecollarroots.com. That's the way to get in touch with me and let me know that you're interested in becoming a sponsor. If you have a product you wish to have sponsored, some audio commercials you wish to run on the show, we're welcome to uh, entertain that and get back in touch with you. 
Some of the topics we talk about on these shows are require technical training for proper interpretation or safe execution of the work that you're doing. So if you're a trained pro and you're trained and you understand what's going on, then you can go right ahead and do the work we talk about. But if you're not, please consult with and or hire a pro. If you're in the market for some tools or test instruments mentioned in our podcast, take a look at what True Tech Tools has to offer. True Tech is a company that I own. You can use the code at this time. You can use HVACBS for a nice discount. And uh, again, full disclosure, I'm a co-owner at True Tech Tools. As always, we thank you for listening to us and following us in building HVAC science. If you've not subscribed, please do so. Clicking subscribe helps to make sure that we get a good some good rating numbers so more people can share in this wealth of information that we're bringing forth. And it also gives you automatic downloads if you do the setup correctly for that. If you're looking for any of the links that we mentioned or reference to information, they'll be in the show notes just so you can keep up and take heed of any information that Larry and I discussed here today. So we want to close today with a quote, one thought for the day to leave you with. This is a quote that I shared with my son at one point. I'm not sure where it came from, but popped out of my head. The quote is, if a human can do it, you can do it. So leaving you with that thought, have a great day and never stop learning. We look forward to hearing you or actually you look forward to hearing me, hopefully, on the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Take care.